God. I'm going to uh, I'm going to bring a sermon today about a father with three sons. <clears throat> Sounds like a TV program, doesn't it? My three sons. Well, this is a story about a father who had three sons. But we find this guy in the Bible, and it's very interesting because uh, his story has really blessed me and encouraged me as uh, a father. None of my children are here with me today. Two of them are out of state. And uh, I opened some cards this morning and got a call already. So I, I know that they love me as a father, and, uh, and I love my family. It's found in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. So if you want to turn there, Hebrews chapter 11, just a very short text in uh, verse 7 of Hebrews 11. Now, you're probably going to be familiar with the story, but I may share some things with you you haven't heard before about this story as we go a little bit in depth in the life of Noah. Hebrews chapter 11 is uh, what we sometimes call faith's hall of fame because the writer of Hebrews gives us a list of some of the great people who served God, like Abel had a greater sacrifice, Enoch walked with God, Abraham was the father of the faithful, Moses, who trusted God and gave up everything to lead God's people out of bondage. So the first two or three verses, he talks about faith. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and that without faith it is impossible to please God. So in those first three verses of Hebrews 11, he gives us a little definition of faith, and then he starts giving us examples or illustrations of people who have lived and walked by faith. The Bible said that Enoch walked with God. But then in verse 7, it comes to Noah. This is the man with three sons. It comes to Noah and simply says that Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his family. Fathers, I want you to think about that one. Heads of family, I want you to focus in on that one. One of the versions, I think the NLT says, that Noah built a boat for the saving of his house. So we're going to talk today about building an ark for the saving of our family from the floodwaters. We're going to talk about this responsibility that God lays upon us, this charge that God gives us as fathers. Sometimes uh, it may be uh, as mothers, parents, those of us who lead families. I was raised by a single mom. I was telling somebody here this morning that um, after I'd grown up and became married, you know, you know, when you're about when you're about 18 years old, you're as smart as you're ever going to be, right? Because you know everything. If there are any 18 years old right here tonight, today, well, you're, you're probably a genius. I remember my grandfather for a while after my grandmother died. My mom and I was raised by uh, a single parent. I had no siblings. And we lived with my grandfather, and he was in his 60s and, uh, at the time. And uh, he's the guy who taught me how to fish, taught me a few other things. But, you know, he was old. Uh, you know, I was 17, 18 about to finish high school, going to college, and I thought, 
I, I know about all there is to know. But that old guy, something happened to him. I mean, he, you know, he's gotten old. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't understand anything about my world. And uh, then after a few years, after I went to college and then I got married, about four or five years later, I suddenly realized, you know, that old man was pretty smart. Something changed. And he didn't go to night school and graduate with a bachelor's degree or anything like that in his 60s. But I changed. And so suddenly, on a Father's Day, I realized, you know what? I didn't have my father with me. And I knew my father. And he gave his heart to the Lord before he, before he left this life. And, uh, and we loved each other. But I didn't grow up with him. But one Father's Day, I decided, you know, my mom's been a mother and a father. So I gave her a Father's Day card. She was surprised, but she got the meaning of the whole thing. So I'm not just speaking to father. I'm speaking to moms. I'm speaking to anybody who's the head of a family. Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his family. That one statement says enough that if I didn't have anything else to say today, I think you'd probably get it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think you'd probably get it. But we're going to look at we're going to look at what it meant for Noah to prepare an ark for the saving of his family. So first of all, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis, and we're going to look at the condition of the world uh, or the setting or the background of Noah's world, what it was like, okay? Probably none of us uh, have a backyard big enough to put uh, an ark. You know, it was the size of a, of a small cruise ship, okay? So I doubt if anybody of us has a, uh, uh, you know, has a backyard big enough to build that kind of a boat. But we're going to look at what it was like in his day to prepare for a flood. And most of us are familiar with the uh, creation story. So we're going to go back to Genesis 5 and 6. But, you know, Genesis 1 and 2 is about how God created it all, created every living creature, created man. And uh, then in Genesis chapter 3, Man fell. Man transgressed God's law. Man disobeyed the first man and the first woman. There's always a debate about who influenced who, right? That'll put a little smile on your face. Was it the woman who influenced her husband? We know that wives have tremendous influence on their husbands. And every husband here said, yeah, amen, right, right. We also know that husbands should be the head of the families, and they have influence on their families, but in chapter 3 of Genesis, we have this tragic story of how man fell, transgressed God's law, his rule in the garden, and they had to be put out of the garden. And all of a sudden, for all of us, life changed forever. Genesis 5 then gives us an account of the genealogy of man from Adam up to Noah. Noah was the 10th generation after Adam. As a matter of fact, uh, I think, uh, let's say I got it somewhere here in my notes, that Noah was born 126 years after the death of Adam. 126 years after the death of Adam. So in those 10 generations from Adam to Noah, we have uh, not much of an account from Scripture except that the Bible tells us that man became so wicked 
Genesis chapter 6, that God decided, I'm going to destroy everything. I'm going to destroy it all. The Bible says that God was so grieved and his heart was so full of pain because man had turned away from God. One, one scripture describes it is that in the days of Noah, they were, they were marrying and giving in marriage and, and life was going on just like normal. That's what that means. But with no acknowledgement of God, the creator. And they became so wicked and so godless, so lawless, so perverted in that generation that God said, I'm just going to wipe them out. I'm going to destroy them all. Now, as you listen to this story, there are similarities between the world that Noah lived in and the, and the world that we live in today. There are some similarities. And God certainly is going to judge this world one of these days. Everything we see around us is going to burn up one of these days. So in Noah's day, God said, I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to destroy every living creature on the face of the earth. Let's see what it says. Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 5. And uh, I'm reading it in the uh, NIV. So uh, you'll probably recognize most of this in, in whatever version you're reading in. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. You know how we do this trite little Christian phrase, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. I love doing that in African churches. They do that all the time. You know, if I say God is good, they go, all the time, and it sounds like a thundering wave of the ocean coming across the audience. Well, this isn't all the time, but it says that man's inclination, his appetite of the flesh, his desires, the strong desires, that this inclination of man was evil all the time, all the time. No wonder God wanted to destroy every living creature. And the Lord was grieved, verse 6, that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain, so that the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. And this is what he said, for I am grieved that I have made them. For I am grieved that I have made them. You parents know what it's like to have children of your own. They're your own flesh and blood. They came from you. They're from your seed. And to see them wander away and not follow God. And what grief. There's no grief like that kind of grief. There's no grief like that. To see those who fall away from the Lord, whom you have brought into this life. God said, I've created them. But then it says at the end of that passage there, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
The scripture says, verse 11 says, the earth was so corrupt in God's sight and full of violence, God saw the corruption, the earth, the, how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Verse 13, so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to it. One version says that God's heart was in pain. He grieved so much. And so God said to Noah, he said, you found favor, you're a righteous man, and uh, I'm not going to destroy you, but I'm going to give you a plan. I'm going to give you instructions and specific details how you can save your family. Because I'm going to send rain. They had never known rain. God said then that rain's going to become floods. They'd never seen floods before. It had never happened before. There are all types of scientific uh, theories about what happened with the flood and how that, that flood, the water covering all the earth, tilted the, the earth on its axis because it was not created that way. All sorts of things. But the changes that were coming were not like anything they'd never seen before. They'd never seen rain. They'd never seen a storm like we saw yesterday come through Baltimore. They didn't know floods I was in the flood of 93 in the Midwest in the Mississippi River. We were afraid. They said, the levee looks like it might break. If it breaks, you'll have 10 feet of water where you live in your neighborhood. We were, you know, people were putting stuff up in the attic. People were going to high ground and staying in hotels. A 500-year flood in 1993 in the Midwest all along the Mississippi River Valley. But God says the earth is so corrupt. It's so full of violence, and all of the people have corrupted their ways to where they are inclined to evil all the time. So, Noah, you're a righteous man, and when I destroy the earth, I'm going to give you instructions about how you can be saved. There was chaos. There was confusion in the world. There was this uh, evil and perversion like never before, but God said, to the one righteous man he found, I've got a plan to save your family. You know what? God has a plan to save our families today. In this generation, our families can be saved. With all the wickedness and perversion of this generation, our children can know the Lord. Our families can be saved. We have the faith through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have the faith to believe that our families can be saved. When Loretta and I pray for our family, sometimes we, we have a special day, and our kids know that on that day, every week that we are spending a lot more time praying for our family, for each one of them. I remember uh, Loretta's grandmother, uh, Loretta's mother, when she had dementia in her early 90s and was still in home before they took her to a rest home. And um, she just couldn't get things clearly. I mean, the dementia was getting worse and worse. And uh, Loretta had gone somewhere one day to a grocery store or whatever. We were staying at her mom's house. And, um, and, and just her mother was there. She was about 90, 90, 91 at the time, 92 maybe. And I happened to be upstairs, and, um, and I heard my mother-in-law praying. Now, this lady couldn't remember my name. She couldn't remember who I was. She, she couldn't remember Loretta's name, her only daughter. 
But I remember hearing her praying. I heard her praying in tongues. And I was coming down the steps, and I thought, I'm going to listen for a minute. And I sat down on the steps, and I just listened to my mother-in-law pray. Now, I'd known her for years. She was a lovely lady. She said I was her favorite son-in-law. I was her only son-in-law. And uh, I thought, I'm going to listen. And I listened to her praying in tongues. Oh, Lord. And she was sitting there. I could see she was sitting there by the window where she always liked to read the Bible and pray and worship. Her husband was there. He had passed, and they would sit there in front of the window and, and worship the Lord together every morning. She was sitting there in a little rocker chair with her Bible in her lap, 90-some years old, and she starts praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. She called out the names of all four of her children, all four of the in-laws, and all of her grandchildren. I don't know how many grandchildren it was at that time, 14, 15, called out everyone, prayed for every one of them one at a time. And never missed a one. And listen to this. She started praying for the grandchildren from the oldest all the way down to the youngest. Praying for every one of her children. Noah said, God, I'll follow your instructions if you'll just help me save my family from this wicked generation. And she prayed for all of her grandchildren. I just sat there and I listened to her children, her grandchildren. And then she started praying in tongues again. When she was finished, I walked downstairs. I said, Ruth, how are you doing? She looked at me and said, who are you? You see, that was a divine moment when the Spirit rose up over this aging, decaying flesh. And from her spirit, prayed to God for the saving of her family. Sometimes the Spirit of God will come on me when we're praying for our family. We're calling out everybody's name. And we also pray for those that are not yet born but are descendants of ours. We might not even see them. We may go on to be with the Lord before they arrive on the face of the earth as great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren. But we pray the bloodline, and we pray it through the blood of Jesus Christ because God's given us a plan. God's given us instructions on how we can save our families. It's possible to save our children from this perverse generation that we live in today. Even in the New Testament, we read about the corruption and the wickedness of Noah's day. They still talked about it. In Matthew 24, Jesus is giving us, uh, talking about the signs of his coming when his disciples ask him. And he's talking about the events of the last day and things that were going to happen on the earth and the wickedness that would come and the deception that would come. And Jesus indicated that people of that day, just prior to his return, would be living their lives just the same way those did in the days of Noah. And Jesus said it this way. He said they'll be giving in marriage and they'll be marrying and giving in marriage and going on. In other words, what he's saying is they're going to live out their lives the way they have planned, not according to God's plan. They're living out there. You know what that is? That's idolatry. To push God all the way out of your life, you make yourself a God. You make yourself an idol. And you push God out of the way. And it's like, I'm going to live life the way I want to live. I was talking about 18 years old. 
I told God, I said, I don't want to be a preacher. I'm going to live my life. I got a music scholarship. I'm going to teach music. I got a full scholarship to a state university. That's the path that I'm going on. And I think God probably just kind of stepped back for a second and chuckled a little bit. Because somewhere along the way I changed and I finally realized I cannot resist God anymore. But Jesus said just prior to my return, the perversion of mankind will be so much that they'll be just like they were in the days of Noah, going about doing their thing, making their plans, living life their way, rather than acknowledging the Creator, the one who put them on the face of the earth. They were totally unprepared until the flood came and took them all away. Peter described the people of Noah's day as being corrupt and lawless, despising authority. Man, there's a lot of lawlessness in our land today, in our world today, not just here in America, but throughout the earth. Terrorism and lawlessness and, and, and violent murders and, and uh, genocide of people in Africa. It, it goes on. It goes on. It doesn't stop. It goes on. Peter described the people of Noah's day as being lawless, and he said in the last days there will come a person that also the apostle Paul called the lawless one. That's, that's his description of who he is, the lawless one. Maybe that's his name. He's going to show up in the last days. But then he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, and he said, the man of lawlessness will come. But he said, but the spirit of lawlessness is already at work in the world. Man, watch your television. Lack of respect for law for government, for a constitution, doesn't matter what country you're in, it's the same. And he said, that's the way it's going to be in the last days. Noah lived in a day that was characterized by corruption and chaos and lawlessness and wickedness of every kind. And it was bad enough that the creator of all mankind says, it's enough. I'm going to destroy every living thing on the planet. But Noah obeyed. There are two words that describe Noah's character, faithful and obedience. Noah was a man of faith, and Noah was a man who obeyed God. Do you realize the Bible says that Noah's three sons were born after his 500th birthday? Now, people lived a long time back in those days. As a matter of fact, there was a man named Methuselah, According to the Bible, he was the oldest man ever lived. He lived to be 967 years old. He was the oldest in the Bible. Noah didn't even have kids till he was 500 years old. And it was during that year that his third child was born that, that the Lord spoke to him about building this boat. He was over 600 years old when they got in the ark. It took him 100 years following God's instructions to build that small cruise ship that was going to have all those nasty animals in it. And he had to have food for them. He had to have enough supplies for 40 days for his family and for all those animals that God would call into the ark by his spirit. Can you imagine that? But you know the interesting thing? After the flood, God said, but man's days now will be shortened. Man's days will be 120 years. Before that, they were living 700, 800, 900 years. I think uh, Adam was, what, over 800 years old when he finally died. But after that, God shortened 
man's lifespan. If we look at uh, uh, verses 8 and 9 again, it talks about the corruption in uh, Genesis chapter 6. God says, I am grieved, but it says in verse 9, but Noah, who found favor in the eyes of the Lord, was a righteous man and blameless among the people of his time. Now, I just try to think back a little bit to the days of Noah and think about what kind of things did Noah face? I mean, you know, we have each other in the church, and uh, we, we encourage each other. We affirm each other. We come in here every Sunday. Hey, how are you doing? Prayed for you this week. God bless you. Wonderful to see you. We all love Jesus. We affirm each other. Well, what if we didn't have that? It'd be hard, wouldn't it? What if we didn't have that kind of love, that kind of affection for one another, that kind of encouragement in the body of Christ? I can just imagine Noah's neighbors. Did you see what old Noah's doing? He, he, he's building something in his backyard. Now, who would know what a boat was, right? Because they'd never seen that kind of water. They'd never seen floods. They'd never even seen rain. But he says he's building this thing because there's a... There's a flood coming. And uh, old John Tucker, the next door neighbor, says, what's a flood? What's a flood? Well, they say, Noah says there's going to be so much water, it's going to cover everything. Well, Noah, Noah's always been kind of eccentric, you know. He's always been a little bit tilted, you know. That's just, Noah's always been kind of strange. For a hundred years, Noah listened to that kind of mockery and questioning. For a hundred years, from his neighbors or friends of his town, I mean, he had to go to sawmill and buy wood from somebody, right? He had to go buy a supply. Hey, listen, I need some nails. Okay. Go down to his hardware store and the guy at hardware. Noah, you're, you're crazy, man. No, I'm not. I'm just listening to God because destruction is coming and God has given me a way to save my family. Wow. Can you imagine all of the people that mocked and jeered to this man of faith and this man of obedience? But God gave specific instructions. So God said, I'm going to tell you how to build it. I'm going to tell you how big to make it. I'm going to tell you what to put in it. I'm going to tell you that I want one window and one door. I'm going to shut the door. You're going to open the window. God gave specific instructions. And you know what? In our day, God's given us instructions, and it's right here in the Word of God. Jesus said one of the things that's going to mark the last days, one of the characteristics of the days just before I return, is going to be massive deception on the face of the earth. In Matthew 24, when Jesus talked about his return, he talked about pestilences, famines, earthquakes, wars, all these things happening. He mentioned them only one time in that chapter. But three times in Matthew 24, Jesus said there's going to be massive deception on the face of the earth. As a matter of fact, he even said the deception will be so powerful. Now listen to me. Listen, the deception is going to be so powerful, so influential, so persuasive that we will have to cut 
time short just to protect the very elect of God. That's going to happen in the last days. We see a lot of that in our world today. The deception that's coming up on our earth, the, the deception from, from people who don't follow God, and the messages that they put out, you know. Massive deception. It's going to happen in the last days. But how are we going to know what the truth really is? It's right here and contained here in the Word of God, isn't it? Amen. So, this man who was a man of faith and a man of boldness followed God's instructions, did what the Lord told him to do, and uh, it is possible for us to live in this chaos that we live in today in our world and still walk with God because we live in dangerous times in the last days that reflect the days of Moses in the very beginning when God said, it's so bad, it's all the time I'm going to destroy the earth. There are probably people here that are about my age who would agree with me, and maybe some of you have even said it. When you look around in America today, you may have said to yourself or to someone else, because our age group understands it, this is not the America I grew up in. How many of you have said that? I heard somebody else say that, yeah, yeah. Especially a lot of us who are 60 and older. I grew up in a small Midwest town. We never had to lock our doors. We said, I'm going to run down to the supermarket. Okay. You go out the screen door. We had a screen door, not a storm door. Well, a screen door made out of wood, you know. You didn't worry about locking the door. Nobody's going to bother your house. You didn't worry if the kids said, hey, we want to go down the park and play baseball. They're two blocks away. Now you're like, hey, you, no, you're not going unless I go. We're afraid to do that. We talk about our world changing and how it's different from, from what it used to be. It's a dangerous world that we live in today. I just, I've got friends who are uh, in the military. I've got friends who are retired military chaplains. Some of these guys I went to Bible college with. And uh, they began to tell us 15, 20 years ago how the government was beginning to put more and more restrictions against our chaplains in the military. Why do we have chaplains in the military? There are Christian chaplains, there are Jewish chaplains, there are Muslim chaplains, uh, there may be uh, Buddhist chaplains. And why do we have them? Because there are people who are fighting wars and who are away from home and away from family and are different and difficult circumstances. We acknowledged a long time ago, hey, those military men and women need spiritual encouragement. That's what the chaplains are for. Now, especially the Christian chaplains are being so restricted they're not allowed to mention the name of Jesus in some places and on some basis. They're not allowed to talk about the blood of Jesus. Some of them who are trying to do online services to their people because the chapels on our bases are closed. It, that's the kind of world we live in today that's coming against Christianity, that's coming against anything that is wholesome or good or right. We're destroying the family. We're destroying marriage, traditional marriage, as in, in the biblical sense of knowing what the Bible says about marriage, and this is the world that we live in today, but somehow in the midst of all of this deception and all of this uh, that's, that's happening in our world, there's a way for us to save our families. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Some of you have heard these words before, and he said, here, here's how it says in King James, I remember these, these words. He said, 
in the last days, perilous times will come. You know what perilous means? Dangerous. Paul said in the last days, and it will just keep getting worse, perilous times will come. And some of the words he used to describe the days that we're living in today, he said people will be proud, they will be abusive, they will be slanderous, they will be brutal, they will be people who have no self-control. And when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians about the coming of Christ and the man of lawlessness, he said in 2 Thessalonians 2, the spirit of lawlessness is already at work. And it just keeps getting worse all the time. That's why some of us say, this is not the world I grew up in. This is not the America that I grew up in. We trusted the news media. We trusted our political leaders. We believed in all these patriotic things. You know, I don't want to get political here. But it's like, it's not that way anymore. It's changed. But didn't the Bible warn us that things are going to change in the last days? And it's going to get worse. It's going to be dangerous. But there there's a way for us to save our families. We can build a boat that's strong enough to take us above the floodwaters when they come. We're building a boat to safety to carry our families through the knowledge of the truth, God's Word. You've got to know the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, you're going to be deceived. If you don't know what the Bible says, you're going to be lost. But why not get into the Word of God? It's the most encouraging thing. It's the most hopeful book. Where do you go to find hope these days anyway, huh? You go to the news to find hope? You sit in front of a television eight, ten hours a day and say, give me hope, give me hope, give me something I can believe in. But go to the Word of God, turn the TV off, and in the Word of God, God, there's hope, there's faith, there's a future for the people of God. How are we going to know what the truth is if we don't read the Word of God, if we don't get into it? It's easy now. You've got an app on your phone. I've got it on my phone. I can go to it any time of the day or night. If I don't feel like reading it, I turn on the audio and listen to it. We're making it easy. We're making it easy for Christians to get a hold of the Word of God because if we don't know the Word, what the real truth is in these last days we're going to be deceived. And if our children don't grow up knowing the Word of God, they know Santa Claus, they know the Easter Bunny, but what do they know about Jesus? And you know what? It begins in the home. It's not the church's responsibility to teach your children. The first responsibility is of the parents in the home. They didn't have Sunday school when Noah was raising his boys. There was no children's church they didn't have all the electronic stuff to really get the kids interested. They didn't have summer camps to go to to send our kids. I used to go to summer camp, you know. Hey, let, me, let me just kind of digress for a moment. I'm going to pause here. Even if you're a single parent, that's not an excuse. Now, you've got a rough road. You've got a rough road. But I, I'm a product of a single parent. And I love my wife and been married to her for over 51 years. So there's no excuse there. You can get the wisdom of God for guiding your children. If you're having to do it as a single dad, single mom, you can do it. My mother saw to it that I got involved in the kinds of things that were good for me. She got me into Cub Scouts, and she'd have to drive extra to pick me up. She worked every day of the week and half a day on Saturday in her office work. She worked all the time. When, we, when she wasn't working, she was going to church. And... Uh, so mom got me into that, got me into the Boy Scouts. That was back when it was pretty good to be in a Boy Scout. 
and I learned camping. It was at a United Methodist Church, and there were good people, godly leadership, good men involved. I had a male image uh, that I could trust, a guy that my mother had gone to high school with. In other words, she saw to it that there were men in my life who influenced me. She saw to it that I went to church. You know, I was a typical kid, 14 years old. Mom, I don't feel like going to church. Well, I'm, you're going to go to church anyway. We'll pray for you. You'll be better. But I'm sick, man. That's all right. The pastor will pray for you. You'll be better. But you're going to church. So I'd go to church, you know, feeling like, oh, God, I'm half dead. Why is my mother doing this to me? Because she was building a boat that was secure. And when the floods come, she'd save her son. Amen. You can do it as a single, single parent. You can do it. Trust me. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go get to be a single parent. Hold on, no, no. But you can do it. Some people say I can't do it, but you can. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this will be the last passage uh, before I close, Deuteronomy 6, um, there is um, what Deuteronomy about is it's about Moses giving the law all over again, and he repeats it. And he gives something that the Jews have called the Shema, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and uh, in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Lord, the Lord is one. Uh, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6. That is called by the Jews the Shema. And, um, and it became the phrase that they repeated over and over every day with their families and with their children. But listen to what Moses said in verse 6. He said, these commandments I give you today, I love this. I really love this. This is family material right here. This is boat building instructions. This is how to do it. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, talk about the commandments of God in your home with your children. You see, we're not just Sunday Christians. We're people who live this thing 24 hours a day. And we live it at home. And you know what? Your children see you when you're in church, and they see you when you're at home, and they know if there's a difference. Come on now. They watch. He said, I want you to teach these things when you walk, when you sit, when you lie down, when you raise up. Teach them to your children. Give them an example in your home. Write them on your hearts. Write them on the doorpost of your house. So you know what the Jews did? They, they did this little thing called a mezuzah. I've got one right here. That you, you, you nail this to the doorpost of your house. Now, the reason I bought this one in Israel, and the reason why it's not on my doorpost, somebody gave me one, a bigger one, that's on the doorpost of our house. Now, we're not Jewish, and we don't do the, Jew, the way the Jews do. They put this thing up on the doorpost, and every day they go in and out the door, they do, you know, they, 
do the kiss and touch this thing, right, on the door. Inside is a little scroll of paper. Mine's got a seal over it. And it's handwritten by a Jewish scribe, a priest, and it has to be perfect. If he makes any kind of mistake, he has to throw away the whole thing and start all over again. This is called a mezuzah. You can look it up on Wikipedia if you want to. And the mezuzah, there's all types of shapes and colors and whatever, but they took it from here, from Deuteronomy 6. In other words, that you think about the Word of God when you leave your house, when you come in, you're always thinking about the Word of God, the law of God, the commitment to God and to His Word. Now, look on down to verse, uh, if you're there in Deuteronomy 6, if you look down into verse 20. So first of all, teach the Word of God at home. Live it out at home. Because they're going to learn it from you. Your kids are going to learn it from you. If they see you pray in time of crisis, they're going to grow up believing when crisis comes, I'm going to pray because that's what mom and dad taught us. If they see you with that Bible out there every day, reading that Bible, reading the Scripture every day, doing your devotion, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to imitate that because that's what mom and dad did. They're going to do just like you. But here's another thing he talks about here, and I love this. He says in verse 20, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of these decrees and laws that the Lord has commanded you? You tell him this. You give him your testimony. You give your children your testimony, and you say to them, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. There was a time I was in bondage. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miracles and signs and wonders. One of the things that we need to do if we're going to build a boat that's, that's safe enough to carry our children is to share our own testimony with our own children. Amen. I remember hearing about a guy one time who came to a, a church bishop, and he said, Bishop, he said, uh, God's called me into ministry. And, and the bishop said, oh, wonderful, wonderful, praise God. No, you don't understand, bishop. God has called me into ministry. And the bishop said, well, brother, hallelujah. We prayed to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. You're an answer to prayer. No, bishop, you don't understand. God's called me into ministry, and I've got nine children at home. And he said, well, brother, not only did God call you into ministry, but he gave you a congregation. You got a congregation at home who needs to hear your testimony. They need to know mom and dad were in trouble. Mom and dad have, always, have not always known the Lord. There was a time when they didn't walk with Jesus. There was a time when they didn't know the Lord. They didn't call on God. There was no prayer in the home. They need to know what your testimony is. They need to grow up knowing, I've seen it in my mother. I've seen it in my father. It's like Paul said of Timothy. He said, you have the faith in you that was in your mother, and it's also in your grandmother, and I've watched you grow in that faith that's been handed down from generation to generation. And so Moses said, don't only teach them the word, but give your kids your testimony in your home. In conclusion, I've never seen days 
like we are living in today. I've never seen days like this before. I went to a public school in Tennessee. Started there in the first grade. My mother worked for a publishing, Christian publishing company. Been back there in recent years. That old school's not there anymore. That's where I learned how to be a drummer. I couldn't afford a drum, so you know what I did? I learned how to play with my own drumsticks, and my band instructor taught me how to play on a folding metal chair. So a seat of a metal chair became my first drum. That's how I learned how to do flim-flams and all the other stuff that you do as, as a drummer. Now I can't do any of that anymore. I can remember most of the teachers' names. In the third grade, I had a teacher named Mrs. Blocker. Now, she didn't smile a lot, but she was kind. And uh, she was to the point. We learned a lot. That's where I learned my multiplication tables, started learning division the second part of the year. In the second part of the year, she introduced to us a Bible class. And our last class of the day for several weeks in the third grade in a public school in the Deep South was a Bible class. And every one of us got a little book with scripture verses in it and little things for us to fill in. And at the very back of that book was a prayer of repentance where we could give our lives to Jesus. And in the last class, Mrs. Blocker led my third grade class in the prayer of repentance to make Jesus Lord of our lives. Now, you won't see that in a public school in America today. If it even tried to happen, the teacher would get fired. ACLU would rise up. Somebody would be in court. It would be a fiasco. America was founded on that kind of thing, but we don't, we don't acknowledge that anymore. We're denying our history. We're rewriting the history. And, you know, here's a little bit of a personal statement. Some of the people that are acting so foolish in our days, they don't know anything about our history or our government and why it ended up the way it is. They couldn't tell you what a republic is. They don't know anything about uh, a federalist. They don't know who the Whigs were. They don't remember. They don't know any of that stuff. They couldn't even give you the three main branches of the government, you know. That was in my day. We live in a world today that's so very different. You don't send the kids down the street to the park anymore to play. You take the kids because it's a dangerous world we live in. There is a flood of wickedness coming, but as in the days of Noah, the same water that destroyed all living things on the face of the earth was the same water that lifted the ark above the destruction of the flood. As the flood waters came up, as the flood waters rose, so did the ark that Noah had built for the safety <clears throat> of his family. I love the verse in Romans 5 where it says, where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. I think in the King James language, it was like where iniquity does abound, the grace of God does much more abound. I love the words that John gives us in one of his epistles, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
John was talking about the evil spirit of the Antichrist of the last days when he mentioned that very, very fact that the one who is in you is greater than the spirit that's moving in the world today. I love the one where he said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Noah was known for his faith and for his obedience. I would like to be known for my faith and my obedience. I'll never be famous. I will never be known for wealth. I'll never be known for multiple degrees and all kinds of titles after my name. But I would like to be known as a man of faith and a man of obedience. I would like for people to know me. He's a man who built a boat for the saving of his family. Amen. Amen. Noah was faithful, and he followed God's instructions all the way down through. He obeyed God. And ten generations after Adam, God began human history all over again with Noah and his three sons, my three sons, and their wives. And mankind began again. God said, we need a fresh start. We need a new beginning for mankind. Times were tough. Evil was all around as Noah was preparing the ark, but he did it. God will give us the grace today with evil all around. God will give us the grace to lead our families. God will give us the strength. God will give us the grace to love our wives. James Dobson said the best gift you can ever give your children is your love for one another as their parents, as father and mother. The best gift is not the best, not a great education at the best universities, but if you're a father, the best gift that you can ever give your children is to love their mother and let them know that you love their mother with all your heart. Amen. God will give us the grace. As the heads of our family, God's calling us to faith, to obedience, and he's holding us responsible for the saving of our house. But we can do it. We can do it. Let's pray. Lord, on this Father's Day, we sense your presence. We sense, Lord, as we have come home to Highland, back in church again, that the Father is here. The Father's presence is very aware in this building, Lord, from one side to the other, from one corner to the other, Lord, your presence is here with us, and we acknowledge that today. Lord, let there be a Father's Day outpouring. Let there be a new refreshing. Let there be a new revival, Lord, in our day in 2020. You did it 25 years ago. You can do it now. You did it during the days of Noah. You gave man a fresh start, Lord, because there was one faithful man who was willing to follow your instructions and save his family. I pray, Lord, that we will be as determined as he was, and you will give us that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember this, Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his family, and we can too. Hallelujah.